Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. My name is Amy, and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the Chorus Entertainment Q3 2020 Analyst and Investor Conference Call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press the star, send the number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, please press the pound key. Thank you. As a reminder, this call is being recorded. I will now turn the call over to Mr. Doug Murphy, President and CEO of Chorus Entertainment. Please go ahead. Thank you, Operator, and good morning, everyone. We hope that you and your families are staying healthy and safe during this time. I want to welcome you to Chorus Entertainment's fiscal 2020 third quarter earnings call. I'm Doug Murphy, and joining me this morning is John Gosling, Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer. Before I read the cautionary statement, I'd like to remind everyone that we have support slides for this call. You can find them on our website at www.corescent.com under the Investor Relations section. Now let's move to the standard cautionary statement found on slide two. Today's discussion contains forward-looking statements that may involve risks and uncertainties. Additional information concerning factors that could cause actual results to materially differ from those in our forward-looking statements are contained in the company's filing with the Canadian Securities Administrators on CDAR. I'll start on slide three. When we last spoke in early April, we talked about how quickly the world had changed, and it continues to do so. Our responsibility as a national and local broadcaster is to provide the public reliable, timely news and entertainment programming. That responsibility has never been greater than it is now. As you well know, significant and unprecedented challenges emerged for businesses in the weeks following the implementation of COVID-related restrictions. At Chorus, this this experience was no different. Our immediate focus was on the health of our employees and ensuring they were safe and secure. We then quickly acted to implement our business continuity measures. Once established, our next action internally was to confirm our steadfast commitment to purposely advance our strategic priorities in the midst of this crisis. I am pleased to report that we have done just that. These advances include working with the industry in Canada to embrace common audience segments to ensure better targeted advertising, reaching more Canadians on digital platforms such as Stack TV, deepening our strategic studio partnerships as we secured a strong schedule for the coming broadcast year, achieving meaningful share gains in TV and radio given the strength of our content, and finding new buyers for our own controlled TV series around the world. To achieve these wins while seamlessly providing the essential services Canadians need from us, is a testament to the talent and resiliency of our team at Chorus. That said, Q3 was a very tough quarter. As witnessed by other broadcasters around the world, we experienced significant advertising revenue declines. TV advertising was down 31% and radio advertising was down 52%. At the same time, we took immediate steps to review all of our costs and took a disciplined approach to reduce expenses. Fortunately, our resolute focus on deleveraging our balance sheet these last two years provided Chorus with the financial flexibility to withstand the impact of the short-term challenges. And we also prioritized spending and investments to ensure our momentum in advancing our strategic priorities was uninterrupted. Chorus, as an essential service, is doing our job in keeping Canadians connected and informed. Our team is working at peak capacity, with more than 75% working from home to deliver news and entertainment. The federal government has been doing their job, too, by providing support to hundreds of thousands of Canadians and their employers through the Canada Employment Wage Subsidy and other programs. 
We applaud the move by the Ministry of Canadian Heritage to introduce a $500 million emergency support fund for cultural, heritage and sports organizations. Our production and creative communities are facing tremendous hardships in our country as most, if not all, productions remain on hiatus. These two measures will position our economy, both creative and otherwise, for a more rapid return to a new normal of economic activity once the public health agencies begin to further lift COVID-related restrictions. For CHORUS, this has enabled us to fully focus on the uninterrupted delivery of news, information, and entertainment services for all Canadians. Over to slide four. We are learning a lot about the acceleration of existing trends, and we're seeing the emergence of some new ones during this pandemic. Audiences are spending more time with video. We are seeing this as they rediscover television, and we're seeing this across digital video platforms. At Chorus, we have made great strides in serving our existing video subscribers with an improved value proposition, and we are reaching new audiences that don't subscribe to a video bundle through a traditional distributor. For example, one short year ago, we launched Stack TV. It was a success right out of the gate and grew markedly every month, accelerating as more Canadians were required to self-isolate. Stack TV has now become a meaningful part of our business portfolio with over 200,000 Canadian subscribers and growing, a milestone we are excited to share. We are also investing to improve the subscriber value proposition by providing enhanced flexibility to consume our course video content on the go, complementing the significant investments our distribution partners are making in new platforms to improve the TV experience. Viewers have embraced our expanded global Global TV app, which has seen an acceleration in downloads and time spent during the crisis. With nearly 4 million downloads to date and more than 6.9 million video starts in the first month alone, our viewers are taking advantage of new ways to access our content. Over to slide five. Audiences are rediscovering television and they're rediscovering Chorus. Since mid-March, Chorus has seen a meaningful shift in audience share given the strength of our content. Survivor is a great example. In its 40th season, the season finale on Global had a strongest showing in 15 years, with 2.4 million total viewers. This demonstrates unequivocally that a hit on TV is still big, and we saw a significant tune-in for audiences in the younger 18 to 34 demo. The importance of having a trusted source of news has never been greater. The growth of news on linear television and digital platforms such as globalnews.ca has been incredible. In fact, we are now the number one digital news brand in Canada. We are bigger online than any other broadcaster, private or public, bigger online than any newspaper or digital-only competitor. This spring, our ongoing commitment to and investment in news was further realized when we launched Canada's first 24-7 streaming news channels, available completely free through the Global TV app and Amazon Prime Video, making news even more accessible and delivering stories that keep Canadians connected both at home and abroad. To satisfy our audience's desire for more information about emerging world events, our team has created special news programming such as Coronavirus Canada in Crisis, Coronavirus the New Reality, and Living in Color, Being Black in Canada. And in radio, some notable new trends have emerged, which are encouraging. It is no surprise that drive time tuning has declined, but what is of interest is a significant increase in streaming, as listeners find new ways to access our chorus radio stations digitally through the radio player app on mobile devices or voice-activated devices at home or via internet-connected televisions. Listening to radio at home is on the rise during the crisis. And lastly, and for you rock fans out there, rock music is back during this pandemic-induced situation. In Vancouver, our two rock stations, CFOX and Rock 101, rank one and two. And in Toronto, for the first time in more than a decade, Q107 is a top three station. Moving to slide six. Some of you have heard me describe our pandemic experience using the metaphor of chapters being written in the book of COVID. Chapter one was titled Shock and Awe and is evident in our Q3 revenues. 
We saw sudden, significant advertising cancellations as clients reduced discretionary spending on marketing to protect their own businesses, given the shutdown-induced reduction in their sales. Chapter 2, Stabilization, witnessed the advent of new advertising campaigns with newly approved and retooled messaging. We are now in Chapter 3, The Modest Recovery, as parts of the economy slowly reopen. As noted earlier, despite the impact of COVID, we remain focused on the long game, and an important part of that is our investments in leading-edge advertising solutions as we transform how television is sold. Last week, our industry organization, Think TV, announced a critically important industry solution in Canada. Chorus, Bell Media, Rogers Sports and Media, and later this year, Quebec Gore Media, will all adopt common audience segments. Advertisers will now be able to build a better, more targeted advertising campaign, benefiting from a common shared grouping of 19 audience segments that will reach 90% of total linear TV audiences in Canada. Our efforts to better target audiences through common segments is but one part of our strategy to transform how we sell television. Another is to improve the ease of transacting television through an automated platform, Cinch. This self-service platform will increase the efficiency and effectiveness of buying television. Cinch's latest upgrade now delivers live inventory across 20 of our specialty channels for adults, with Global to be added later this year. Over to slide seven. As mentioned, we held our first virtual upfront this week where we revealed our schedule for the upcoming broadcast year, both conventional and specialty television. Let me offer a few quick highlights. You've heard of us speak of our strategy to deepen our long-term relationships with world-class content partners by securing premium content for distribution in new ways and places. On Tuesday, we announced a new multi-year deal with NBC Universal for originals from Peacock, exclusive to Chorus in Canada. Shows like Brave New World, Girls 5 Eva, Saved by the Bell will not only air on our linear channels, but they will also be available for any of our on-demand platforms with full stacking rights. Moving to slide eight. Our global fall schedule is packed full of premium dramas with successful returning series that viewers come back for every week. Returning to our lineup are fan favorites, New Amsterdam, back for its third season, and last year's newest hits, Evil and FBI Most Wanted, both renewed for a second season. And on Sunday evenings, we will have four full hours in simulcast with CBS, starting with the iconic 60 Minutes, then The Equalizer, a new series starring Queen Latifah, and then NCIS LA and NCIS New Orleans from the popular NCIS franchise. And of course, Survivor will be back yet again, appealing to that record fan base that watched this year's season finale. I'm now on slide nine. As we announced on Tuesday, all of our specialty networks will feature a strong pipeline of shows from our U.S. studio partners as well as hit course original series. From new seasons of The Good Fight, Batwoman, and Outlander, to the debut of Beyond Oak Island, we have an impressive fresh schedule to kick off the new broadcast year. Moving to slide 10. As part of our upfront this week, we debuted our ever-expanding slate of owned content. Chorus Studios announced a deep lineup of 20 new and returning series, including new seasons of the hit series Island of Brian and Russ Valley Restorers. More and more of our series produced by Chorus Studios have multiple seasons, which increases their appeal around the world. And there are announcements of some new shows as well, such as Cheese, A Love Story, and Family Home Overhaul. Our slate of own content from Nelvana is equally impressive. Seven new and returning series have been announced, including the long-anticipated live-action mystery drama reboot of The Hardy Boys, which will debut on YTV this fall and on Hulu in the U.S. later this year. Nelvana's, Nelvana's series Ollie's Pack and The Dog and Pony Show will debut on YTV and on Treehouse. New seasons of popular Nelvana-produced series as me and Roy, Miss Persona, and Ranger Rob round out the schedule. The worldwide production hiatus has definitely kick-started our content ownership sales and strategy and its merits as a source of revenue diversification. For example, 
HGTV and Food Network, owned by Discovery US, Inc., has acquired six core studios. This represents 85 hours of content for their flagship networks in the US. HGTV welcomes three series this summer, including Scott's Vacation House Rules, Making It a Home with Courtney and Dave, and the hit series Island of Brian, which will be retitled Renovation Island in the US market. They've already had strong audiences in the first few weeks of viewing. Food Network acquired two series, including Firemasters and The Big Bake, for their audiences later this year. And, as previously noted in April, we announced the sale of a second season of the hit series Rust Valley Restorers to Netflix for international distribution outside of Canada. Many of these series will be in production once the restrictions are lifted, which bodes well for future international sales of subsequent seasons in the years ahead as we build franchise IP. With that, I'll hand it over to John to review the Q3 financial results as well as our current financial position. Thanks, Doug. Good morning, everyone. I hope you're all well and keeping safe. I'll start on slide 11. Financial discipline is an integral part of how we operate, of course. At the start of fiscal 2019, we began to accelerate the deleveraging of our balance sheet, increasing our financial flexibility, and putting us in a solid position to navigate through these unexpected times. Over the past seven quarters, we have repaid $381 million of bank debt, including $131 million for the year to date, which includes $80 million in optional debt repayments this year. With the decline in advertising revenue in the current climate, our reported leverage has increased to 3.22 times net debt to segment profit at the end of the third quarter, reflecting lower segment profit and the impact of the adoption of IRFRS 16 at the beginning of the fiscal year. We exited the third quarter with a cash balance of $80 million and had available $300 million under our committed revolving credit facility, which expires in 2023, and all of that could have been drawn. This cash position and our committed revolving credit facility provides us with sufficient liquidity to operate in these uncertain times. Our financial priorities remain unchanged. We are prudently conserving cash in this environment and increasing our financial flexibility over the longer term remains our focus. Our Q3 results reflect that we have met the eligibility requirements for the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy, or CEWS, with a consolidated revenue decline in excess of 30% during the April and May 2020 measurement periods. Approximately $17 million of the estimated CEWS for the three months ended May 31st, 2020, has been recorded as a reduction of employee costs in the interim financial statements. This program is doing exactly what it is intended to do, provide support to employers like Chorus during the period of highest disruption as we continue to provide essential services for all Canadians. We're extremely grateful to the government for quickly recognizing the need for emergency relief during this period of uncertainty and acting quickly to put this program in place. I'll now provide an update on our Q3 results starting on slide 12 before handing the call back to Doug. Our third quarter performance reflects the material business impact from COVID as Doug mentioned, particularly on advertising revenues, as well as a tough comparable from last year's unusually strong TV advertising revenue growth of 10% in Q3. Consolidated revenues of $349 million declined 24% compared to the prior year quarter. This result was mainly driven by the lower advertising revenues and a decrease in merchandising distribution and other revenues due to COVID-related shutdowns. Impressively, our subscriber revenues were resilient, increasing slightly this quarter. Consolidated segment profit was $111 million for the quarter as compared to $171 million in the prior year, reflecting the significant revenue challenges partially offset by very aggressive cost management. Expenses were meaningfully reduced by approximately $50 million for the quarter as production delays reduced cost of sales, discretionary costs were eliminated, and eligibility for the wage subsidy was confirmed for the April and May periods. Consolidated segment profit margin was 32% for the quarter. The net loss attributable to shareholders for the quarter of $752 million, or $3.61 per share, was driven by TV and radio goodwill impairments and radio broadcast license impairments, which aggregated approximately $787 million recorded in the third quarter. The impairment charges are non-cash items and adjust the accounting book values at May 31st, 2020 to estimated current market value. Free cash flow was $91 million as compared to $90 million in the prior year quarter, reflecting the positive impact of relief measures enacted by the government, which allowed payment deferrals on Canadian income tax installments and HST GST, as well as lower spend on program rights, and that was offset, of course, by the lower segment profit. Free cash flow for the year-to-date of fiscal 2020 
is $209 million compared to $216 million last year. Current results do include the impact of the adoption of new accounting standard IFRS 16 leases this year, which increased free cash flow by $4 million for the quarter and $12 million for the year to date. Now, let's turn to our TV results for the third quarter as detailed on slide 13. Overall, TV segment revenues for the quarter were down 21%. TV advertising revenue declined 31%, driven by the impact of COVID on demand. And as we mentioned earlier, we were unable to translate increased audiences into revenue. We were also comparing to unusually strong TV advertising revenue growth in the prior year. TV subscriber revenue was up slightly from the prior year, reflecting strong uptake of Stack TV, which more than offset channel portfolio changes made in the last year and the disposal of TLN in March of 2019. Merchandising distribution and other revenues were down $2.6 million in Q3, and this reflects the lower number of deliveries on current productions as compared to the prior year and decreased merchandising revenue given the shutdown of retail businesses, which impacted the backing on sales. TV expenses in the third quarter were down 15% over the prior year. Direct cost of sales decreased 8%, and that was driven mainly by lower amortization on Canadian programming and a reduction in revenue-based costs. General administrative expenses were down 26%, benefiting from the elimination of all discretionary spending, relief on Part 1 CRTC fees, the implementation of IRPR 16, lower revenue-based costs, and estimated CEWS funding of $13.5 million in TV. Overall, TV segment profit of $116 million decreased 30% in the third quarter. TV segment profit margins were 35%, and that compares to 40% in the prior year. Now, let's turn to radio on slide 14. Radio segment revenues were $18 million. That was a decrease of $19 million, or 52% for the quarter, impacted by the shutdown of businesses across Canada. Radio expenses in the third quarter decreased a significant 29%, principally from lower employee costs tied to CEWS funding of $2.7 million, relief on Part 1 CRTC fees, lower copyright costs that are correlated to revenues, and a halt in discretionary spending. Despite all, uh, cutting all variable costs possible in the radio segment, the significant decline in revenues in the quarter meant that the radio segment loss was $1.8 million. Across the company, we are deeply committed to reducing costs, diligently managing our capital, and readying ourselves to exit this period of uncertainty in a position of strength. With that, I will turn it back over to Doug. Thank you, John. Moving to slide 15. It's a surprise to no one that Q3 was a very tough quarter. I am very proud of our team at Chorus and what we have accomplished as an essential service for Canadians providing news, information, and entertainment. We have a very important role in helping all Canadians during this protracted period of self-isolation. I am especially pleased that we're making such meaningful progress in advancing our priorities so that we exit this pandemic in, a, in an improved strategic position. As the future chapters of the book of COVID are revealed, Chorus has many reasons to be optimistic for the coming broadcast year and beyond. We have a strong lineup for our fall schedule as debuted during our virtual upfront this week. We have seen a profound share shift in our favor on both television and radio. Advertisers will return as the, economy, as the economy reopens. There is no doubt, and we are ready to support them. Our advanced advertising and data offerings are transforming how TV is sold. Now with the industry in Canada adopting common audience segments and cinch beginning to scale. Our content is reaching new audiences on platforms such as Stack TV, providing more avenues for advertising and subscriber growth. Our owned and controlled content is appealing to new buyers around the world. And most importantly, our financial discipline to maximize our free cash flow, prudently manage our costs to deliver the balance sheet and invest for the future remains resolute. Before I close the call, I want to address the senseless killing of George Floyd and the ensuing wave of condemnation and protests here in Canada and around the world. This has opened up a new level of transparent conversation about racial injustice, in particular anti-black racism. At Chorus, we acknowledge that systemic racism exists within our society and workplaces. Our company values are built on a foundation of learning and challenging assumptions to create a new, better future. 
We are deeply committed to redoubling our focus on building an inclusive, sustainable culture, culture here at Chorus, in which equity, diversity, and inclusion are central to what we do within our company and in our communities. Together, we all need to do better and to do more. Thank you, and back to you, Operator. Thank you. At this time, we will be conducting our question and answer session. In order to ask a question, you will need to press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. Your first question comes from the line of Adam Shine with National Bank Financial. Adam, your line is open. Thanks a lot. Uh, good morning. Doug, maybe can you talk a little bit about uh, some of the trends you're seeing uh, going into uh, the seasonally light Q4 and any look ahead uh, ultimately into the fall? And then just in the context of the uh, release schedule that you put out the other day, um, can you give us a sense as to sort of how much of uh, that production is sort of already in the can, or, you know, is there any risk to, uh, you know, the new fall season as to, uh, you know, productions restarting to get some of that uh, output available for the fall? Thanks. I'm going to start to the second question, Adam, and, and I hope you're well. Nice to hear from you. Uh, the good news about our model, as you know, is that we have a lot of our audiences are delivered by our specialty channels, and our specialty channels are a function of our you know, exclusive arrangements with the you know, big U.S. brands, and much of the content is already in the can. So whether or not it's HGTV or food or history, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera, Disney, Nick, cartoon, et cetera, you know, we've got a deep, deep library of new shows and catalog shows so um, we're feeling very confident that we can you know, maintain audiences, uh, e even if it's protracted uh, delays in returning to normal. Uh, we're, we feel good about that. On the global, you know, we, we announced this, this uh, week uh, the shows that we know we're going to air, start airing in September, October. Some have been shifted to mid-season, like Prodigal Son, uh, FBI. Uh, they've moved over uh, New Amsterdam. So those are still evolving, to be honest with you. Uh, we're in constant contact with our U.S. Uh, studio partners, everybody's anxious to get back to production. Some shows are already in post, so they're just being finished up now. Anything that was in principal photography are st is still kind of on hold. But, you know, to the best of our knowledge, we've got a pretty good lineup secured for the fall. Uh, trends, uh, one trend for sure, it's going to be a great hot Canada Day week next week, and Canadians are going to be outside and on, their, on, on the lakes, and they're not going to be watching a lot of television. And that's, that's pretty normal for this time of year, especially because we had such a cold late spring. Um, other than that, you know, in my, in my remarks, I mentioned uh, uh, the number of the trends. I mean, we're, we, are, we are not seeing cord shaving and cord cutting. We are seeing stability in our core traditional subscriber business, and we are seeing very incredible growth in Stack TV, which rounds up to growth in subscriber line, and that's going to continue. Um, we're seeing people listening to radio on digital platforms from home, uh, which is a, a definite trend change. Um, uh, and we're seeing a lot of interest in our own content business with the phone ringing quite regularly with people looking for our content that can be sold to international markets. So, um, you know, lots of interesting things that we're learning and a lot of it in our favor. Uh, Doug, if I can just ask one, one follow-up, just in the context of, uh, you know, the 19 uh, sort of core segments, how should we think about potentially driving incremental revenue uh, during the course of the year, particularly, you know, as uh, some of these partners obviously come on board during the course of fiscal 2021? Um, the, the, the insight behind the audience segments is to, as you've heard me say before, move away from selling the demo, adult 25-54, to selling targeted audience segments. Um, that enables us to provide our advertiser better targeting, better value, and it enables us to better segment the 70 billion impressions we sell every year. So. You know, we can get better yield um, on those segments. Uh, we can help our advertisers feel like they're getting much better targeting outcomes. And when you talk about the specific categories, uh, I think that was part, part of your question about trending as well. You know, as the economy reopens, we're seeing, you know, different product categories having different kind of profiles. I mean, you've all heard the, the, the U, you know, the V, the L. Um, you know, we're seeing that in categories. So for example, you know, certain, certain categories, travel, airlines, cruise, you know, they're not spending any money. Other categories, home improvement, telecom, groceries, uh, online shopping, direct-to-consumer, entertainment and home, gaming, they're spending money. 
Um, and so, you know, the targeted segments enable us to more effectively hit the grocery stores, for example, who want to target large families. So it will enable us, I believe, to come back stronger than we went into the COVID crisis by having a common platform in Canada. Okay, I'll leave it there. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Drew McReynolds with RBC. Drew, your line is open. Yes, thanks very much. And uh, Doug, congrats to you for keeping uh, all these initiatives uh, moving forward in, in, in a tough environment. Uh, it's actually quite impressive to see. Um, Adam ticked off a couple of my questions, but uh, a couple more here. Uh, first, uh, to you, Doug, uh, just on a regulatory update, we've seen some uh, obvious delays in, in, in the processes of, uh, of filings uh, with the CRTC, et cetera, and obviously uh, government's uh, delayed in a few things, but maybe provide an update if you can on where things are with uh, you know, the Broadcast Act review and uh, updated expectations on a radio review. And John, for you on the government subsidy side for Q4, your fiscal Q4, just kind of remind us um, if if that continues through the quarter. Um, and and lastly, I, I guess for you, John, on the bad debt side, it, it doesn't look as if it, it's a it's a major issue. I think you provisioned a little bit this quarter, but if you can quantify a little bit of that, that'd be helpful. Thank you. I'll, I'll kick it off, Drew, and thank you for your, your kind acknowledgement. We, um, the Minister Guibault, uh was uh, speaking at the uh, virtual Banff Media World Festival uh, last week, I think it was, and you know we were very encouraged to hear that. You know, originally the government said they were going to they were going to they were going to table the legislation in June. Obviously, the COVID virus has sidelined that, but um, the minister was unequivocal in saying that it's going to be brought to the House in the fall. Um, and there will be thereafter some more firm direction um, to uh, the regulatory body to make more immediate change. Um, our view is that will include, you know, both a leveling of the playing field, which will uh, mean uh, more people contributing to the system, principally the foreign-owned Internet media broadcasters, as I've often described them, you know, Netflix, Apple, Amazon, et cetera, and a commensurate uh, uh, understanding that the existing burdens on traditional uh, broadcasters are unsustainable. Uh, so we still believe that that will be the outcome, uh, and obviously it can't happen soon enough. John, over to you. Sure. Hi, Drew. Um, on the wage subsidy for Q4, um, I guess the first thing to say is there's a little stub piece that comes from the way the periods are defined uh, that we know that we are eligible for. It's the first week of June. Beyond that, it's very unclear um, how the extension is going to work. Uh, we're going on the assumption that the current rules that say if you qualify in a month, that means you automatically qualify in the following month, would tell us that we would qualify in June, that we don't need to requalify. Um, but we don't know that for certain, and we also don't know what the qualification threshold is going forward um, on this renewal. So I think a lot of corporate Canada is waiting to hear from the federal government how this is going to work. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. Just, I mean, to size it, it's about $10 million a month. A little bit of that goes against Nilvana uh, that, that ends up in the film asset. But um, we, we don't have certainty right now uh, for many reasons of what the Q4 benefit could be other than that, that first week of June. So that's really all we know at this point. Um, on the bad debt situation, we did have a little bit of a pickup in our provisions in Q3. It was about $2 million. Um, for that period, you know, needless to say, we're keeping a very close eye on things. The, uh, you know, the, the local situation, particularly in, in radio, would be of some concern, but it's a lot of smaller accounts as opposed to large agency accounts for the most part. So, uh, you know, we're being very cautious. Also, because it's such a huge driver of free cash flow and, and the working capital impact of it. So, uh, you know, so far so good for the most part. I'd say on that, we um, we like the the trends there, but we are. We are on it on a daily basis. Okay, thank you. Uh, thank you for all that. Appreciate it. Your next question comes from line of Aravinda Galapathaji with Canaccord Genuities. Aravinda, your line is open. Good morning. Thanks for taking my questions, and I hope you guys are all doing uh, keeping well. Um, um, I wanted to go back to the the advertising trends, um, Doug. You talked about sort of the three phases or the three chapters. 
Um, I was hoping you can perhaps define sort of the, the modest recovery phase a little bit more uh, quantitatively. What are we talking about? Are we talking sort of flat or maybe modest declines or even modest growth? I know that you had a fairly strong May um, sure. as the cancel that came back, uh, but I was wondering, you know, has that wave sort of ended? So I was looking for a little bit more color on that front. And secondly, for John, uh, uh, you guys provided some great color around uh, cost uh, reduction, uh, you know, in the prior conference call and sort of the different buckets. So I was wondering if you can give us an update there. Um, I know that as it's more in Q4 and Q1 that some of the uh, programming um, uh, uh, cost containment opportunities open up. Um, so I was looking for a little bit more insight on that uh, in that area. Thanks. Thanks, Aravind. I hope you're well as well, and you and yours. Um, do, okay, so with respect uh, to the advertising uh, modest recovery chapter, um, that refers really to May, and that refers to the comparative over last year. Recall last year Q3 was a was a barn burner, right? Plus 10% TV ad growth. So in May of last year, the third month of that quarter, we were largely sold out. Uh, so, you know, the, the, this year we had lots of inventory versus last year we had no inventory, so it would be logical that we, would, we, we saw a number of weeks where we had better sales this year May than we had last year May. But that was a function of the quarter in particular. We're still pacing behind Q4, um, and, I, you know, I don't expect us to get to growth vis-a-vis -vis last year. We were plus 4 Q4 last year, um, so we still have some work to do on the pacing, um, but, you know, it's, it's not going to be growth. It's modest recovery. That's how I describe that. So, on the on the cost side, um, you know, a lot of it depends on what what Doug said in response to Adam's question around programming and timing. Obviously, for Q1, um, for Q4, I think we have a pretty good sense of that. Uh, th you know, there should be some additional programming saves compared to Q3. Obviously, we we had programming that was ready to go uh, that we aired in Q3, and and with the shutdown, the hiatus, it will uh, it will slow things down a little bit more in Q4. You know, on the on the SG&A and the salary cost, that obviously the big nut there is the wage subsidy, whether that uh, applies in Q4 or not. Now, even without that, we will see some pretty substantial savings. Uh, is our current view for for Q4, just with the momentum of what um, of what we've had in place starting with the lockdown. So, you know, it um, it could probably be without the wage subsidy, you know, strong double-digit reductions again in operating costs. And then programming, always a bit of a wild card, but it, it could be, you know, high single-digit, low single-digit savings as well for the, for the fourth quarter. And then I'd say Q1 is still just a little bit too uncertain right now, given that, that potential movement on timing for programming. And, and maybe I can follow up on Q4 before you have any follow-up questions. Or the other thing I would just note is remember now that, you know, the Olympics are gone. So advertisers earmarked, you know, significant amount of dollars for the, for the Olympics. Now they, you know, they're trying to decide where to put those dollars. As well, programmers that were not, you know, carrying the Olympics had programming strategies to stay away from the Olympics and not get run down by that audience, you know, machine. So it's a, it's a, it's a once-in-a-lifetime, very bizarre quarter to try to get your head around, you know, uh, inventory and impressions and programming strategies and demand from advertisers, and then you link that to the sort of, uh, to the, you know, return to some degree of new normal and the slow ease back of economic activity, and, you know, it's anybody's guess. You know, but what we know, what we do know is that we've grown our share. Um, we have, uh, you know, made great strides on our advanced advertising and data-based initiatives, um, and we're going to trade on that and get as much money as we can from our advertising partners. Thanks, Doug. A quick follow-up, and I'll pass the line on uh, Stack TV. Um, you know, thanks for the additional color there. The, does the incremental growth uh, that you've experienced sort of, you know, get you to sort of revisit the TAM there? Um, any sort of updated thoughts on what uh, you know the, uh, the market size, ultimate market market size would be for you guys, given sort of the fraction that you're seeing right now? Thanks. Um, I think the Stack TV product speaks to a number of things. First of all, we're reaching audiences that that are you know not in the cable bundle, you know, younger Canadians, new Canadians, et cetera. We're reaching audiences that don't want to consume sports, so they can get a course bundle, and they're you know they're enjoying that. 
Uh, as a reference, if you look at the U.S. market, and this is just a reference, I'm not suggesting this is our forecast. We don't know is the, is the, is the early answer, but you know, in the U.S., the VMVPDs are six to seven percent of the marketplace. There's 110 million homes um, there. We've got, you know, we've got, and so that's, you know, that's six to seven million. You know, six, and we have 14 million homes in Canada, so you know, you can see your way to you know, maybe a target market of a million homes. So I think we've got a, a good runway here for a while. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Vince Valentini with TD Securities. Vince, your line is open. Thanks very much. Let's start with John. The, the $57 million in tax savings or deferrals, Will that have to be mostly paid in Q4, or do you think that gets deferred further into next fiscal year? Uh, hi, Vince. So the, the $37 million that we identified as being sales tax, that's the HST, GST portion, that gets paid at the end of June, so that's next week. Uh, corporate tax installments have been deferred now uh, until September 1st, so that takes us just out of the fiscal. The, the $20 million, um, we were chatting about that before the call, you know, that would have been our normal installment kind of run rate for Q3, but given the reduction in profitability, the actual, and, and because we paid installments for the first half of the year, the actual installment for Q3 would have been closer to five. So really the, the benefit, you know, depending on how you're looking at it, the benefit of the tax was five, not 20. Um, but, you know, yes, year over year, there's an impact there. Uh, but in terms of, you know, where we're at right now, given what you saw in Q3, um, it's a smaller impact, but that has to get picked up uh, the first day of the next fiscal. Okay, thank you. Um, you talked about production costs being up 15% until there's a vaccine and, and given, I guess, distancing and uh, PPE requirements on, on stage sets and so forth. Can you just clarify, is that, is that just for your Canadian spending or do you think your U.S. sourced uh, content will be uh, up 15% as well? That's a rough, you're referring to what we talked about during your fireside, Vince? Oh, this is in your MD&A today, Doug. Did. Oh, okay, yeah. So we, so basically the, the rough estimate from the producers is 5 to 15% uh, is the potential increase in production costs. That's a function of, you know, providing necessary social distancing, um, you know, all the PPE that may be required when they're offset, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's really too early to say I wouldn't start modeling that necessarily. Um, we're still learning what to do. There's a number of issues that are that are challenging production, uh, returning, uh, not the least of which is the health issue, but there's also issues around insurance. Um, there's issues around this cost piece. There's issues around, you know, trying to get um, people to come back to work, right, because of the CERB. So um, at this stage, it's way too soon for us to give you any guidance on that. It's an approximation at this time. I remember, Vince, the way that the Canadian uh, program expenditure requirement works is, you know, we basically solve for the 30%. So that extra 15, if that's ultimately the right number, would be contained within our regulatory obligation. We wouldn't be suggesting we're going to spend above that. Exactly, John. That's why I asked the question, because it, if it's just Canadian, then you would just, you'd spend the same amount, but you get slightly fewer hours of content and you'd meet your your government obligation, but if it was the U.S. content that was up 15% as well, that's a bit of a different story. So, but I, that's a good enough answer for now. Um, Can I just jump in on that, Liz? Let me just sort of—I don't—I don't—I want to make the, the note that that's why our Peacock deal is such an impressive outcome, because that content was done in the can. It is top top stuff, and you know it, it gives us—you know—not not to mention, are we going deeper with a great partner with NBCU, a long-standing partner with Chorus Entertainment? But it also gives us a whole bunch of hit dramas that you know that are available for use. I'm glad you brought that up because to segue, I wanted to ask about that, Doug. Is is there any way you can characterize the cost in negotiations for that deal? Is this something where you had to really twist NBCU, NBC's arm to get them to sell the content in Canada rather than going with a direct to consumer model? And or was there any sort of big bidding war between Global and or between Chorus and, and Bell to to get it, or or was this more normal course and it was you know reasonable cost in order to achieve that exclusive deal? 
I would say that you know premium content comes with a premium price, but it was within our budget for foreign acquisitions. So uh, uh, was there arm twisting? I can tell you right now that that uh, our friends at NBC on the other side of the table are very smart negotiators, but we have a great smart team, and I think there's a very strong mutual regard and a sense of collaboration. And uh, you know our our programming uh, leadership has a real strong insight as to what we could do with the content, and uh, our NBCU partners saw, saw the merits in so doing, and so I think it was a win-win for both sides. Okay, and last, I'm going to try the trends one more time, with a slightly different spin on it, because okay. we have had more granular information from a lot of uh, U.S. media companies, that, you know, along the lines of March and April sort of down 50%, but then then May is, is more down 20 to 30, and and then even uh, maybe even a little less erosion than that heading into to June and July. Just for the three months during your fiscal Q3, is there any way you can quantify a little bit more granularly for us how much worse May, March, and April were versus, versus May? So, Vince, um, you can read into my comments about the wage subsidy that we were down 30% in April and May. Um, I'd say May was actually a tiny bit worse than April, uh, not materially so. Uh, but you know the fact that we were, you know, because you can backstall when you see the full quarter number essentially um, that it wasn't minus 30. So March wasn't that bad, but given the lockdown started halfway through, I, I guess that would make a lot of sense. Um, so you know, going forward, you know, one of the things I guess I didn't say about the qualification level for the extended wage subsidy is if the qualification level stays at 30 then I don't think we're going to qualify. So that, I guess, tells you something about, you know, what we're seeing going forward on consolidated revenue. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question comes from line of Jeff Fan with Scotiabank. Jeff, your line is open. Thanks very much. Good morning, everyone, and uh, I hope you guys are staying well. Um, most of my questions have been asked, uh, but I, I do want to touch on the topic of uh, the return of professional sports. Um, Doug, you mentioned no Olympics, and that's fair. Um, but I guess with the sports leagues all looking to restart, if they restart, a couple of them have dates. Um, how do you think that's going to swing viewership and ad budgets as you kind of go through the restart period of July, August, and into early fall uh, when you typically have new shows hitting the market in your fall season? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, by the way, I enjoyed watching the Belmont Stakes on the weekend with nobody in the stands, and I, I the New York bread did very well to the law. But nevertheless, I digress. Um, I think it's really hard to figure out how um, how the sports are going to come back. I mean, you, you know, you read in the articles too, right? Everybody's getting the COVID, and the athletes are concerned. So, you know, I, I guess I will answer your question maybe in a different with a different answer. Um, what we're seeing in our research, and we're, we've done six waves of research now uh, titled Canadians in Isolation, and it's one of the things, again, that I think distinguishes our company is the amount of our research and insights team as part of our revenue operation. And um, those waves of insights are, are teaching us or telling us that, you know, we're benefiting from the casual sports viewer uh, who's uh, rediscovered the Chorus Television offering. Um, and, uh, and we think uh, we're going to sustain uh, certainly a, you know, a meaningful amount of that share shift is going to stay with us because typically the casual sports viewer only views sports roughly you know, 15 to 20% of the time. Uh, and the hardcore sports viewer is a different cat altogether. So, um, so our opportunity really is to, is to retain the casual sports viewer. At least some share of that consumption will stay with Chorus. Um, and then when the you know when the sports do come back, and I, you know I really hope they do come back. I mean I, it's a significant issue for for those broadcasters who have made big wagers in sports. Um, but of course it's going to be totally predicated upon the the health of the athletes and the economics of the leagues. And that as you're seeing right now with with uh, baseball and others, it, it's not clear what the path forward is. So all I can really talk about in terms of sports is, is what our plan is to try to retain that, that audience share shift. Um, so that when sports do come back, whenever they do come back, we'll be able to benefit um, from the trend that's happened in the ensuing time frame. Okay. Um, I just want to follow up also on the, on the Peacock, um, and congrats on getting that deal done. Um, with respect to monetization of that content, um, NBCU is, is obviously focused more on the ad, advertising uh, video on demand, the AVOD market. Um, 
your monetization sounds like it's going to be linear. Uh, do you have um, a platform that you think you can help drive uh, the ABOD opportunity in Canada? Well, I mean, increasingly, I would—I don't make the distinction in my head, our, or our team doesn't, between linear and nonlinear anymore. I mean, you know, look at what, what is stack? Is stack linear or nonlinear? You know, half of the viewing is the live feed, right? So, um, you know, that pro the, the, what, I think what's important to note is, yes, uh, we were able to secure the rights exclusively, and yes, we were able to secure all the rights for every platform, on-demand, linear, whatever it looks like. So we'll deploy that in the most optimal way for our audience, for our advertisers, and to maximize our, our distribution revenue. When does that delivery start to come? Will it be pretty much in line with um, the Peacock national launch in the U.S.? Yeah, I, I believe so. I mean, we don't, we don't need to be day and date, obviously, because it's not a, a broadcast, quote-unquote. So um, we'll, that, that, that was my note earlier, is that you know, to the extent to which there's production shutdowns in the U.S., we've got we've got some flexibility with some hit dramas to, to kind of layer in. You know, uh, you know, if, if we need to when there's demand. So I think the, the the key note here, and this is also my comment earlier on the specialty channel content out supply, output supply, and all the the new shows we already have in the can, is you know we're going to be very very judicious in terms of how we debut new content. There's got to be advertising demand there. You know, and so and so. You know, the, 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 the ability to be surgical in terms of driving supply and then we can drive demand by being surgical with common segments, I think we'll start to see the merits of both of that as the, as the fall quarter kind of plays out. And I know you in particular have been a, a, a interested in common segments, so I don't want to lose that now. Let me just make a couple comments. I can't underscore enough how groundbreaking this is in the world for Canada to adopt common segment, there's no other country, there's no other country doing it, quite frankly. Um, you know, this should be on the cover of Ad Week because it will enable our industry to do all that we can do to maximize our economics, provide better service for our advertisers, uh, and continue to transform how we sell television. And and that's fundamental. I don't know what that's worth in the long haul, but it, it is it's a great example of industry working in unison to do the best we can do for our industry. This is where Ottawa has got to come to the table. They cannot sit there and drag their feet and not make the change they've got to make to let us be more competitive, having us burdened with obligations that were formed 30 years ago while we're leading blazing trails in this country with industry and Ottawa's not doing anything is unacceptable. And that's, I think, I want to just make that comment. Sorry, it's a soapbox comment, the, la the latter one. But the former one, I can tell you <clears throat> definitely, is groundbreaking, it's history-making, and Canada, our industry should be very proud for what we've accomplished. And maybe just a quick follow-up on the timing of uh, the implementation of those segments and, and when we start to see some of that benefit. Um, when, when do you think that that will start to happen? Uh, the teams are working right now on bringing it to life, I would suspect, sort of in the, in the next broadcast year. It'll start to come to life. I mean, we're doing it. We're, we're obviously doing it now at Chorus. Um, but the, you know, Quebec Corps is going to come in a little bit later. You know, Rogers is, is been working with us for a while now. You know, Bell is excited to, to work with us, and Rogers and his Industry Solutions. So, um, but you know, the specific timing, I'm not completely clear on. Okay. All right. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Jeff. Your next question comes from the line of Mariaji with Desjardins. Mario, your line is open. Yes. Thank you for taking my question. I wanted to. Uh, just uh, go back on the U.S. Uh, extensions. I, I understand period four, which ends in in, uh, in July, fourth uh, of July, is is the same. The criteria are the same. So um, you you have not de decided yet if you're eligible or not, as you mentioned, John, because you're you know close to that thirty percent threshold, but let's assume that you don't and um, period five and six come in and and those eligibilities don't allow you to also access that uh, extension. So you're looking at $30 million of cost, additional cost per, per quarter. Um, how, you know, what are the options in front of you right now to offset those increased costs if you can be eligible for a renewal of the CWS? So, Matter on the on the eligibility question, um, it, it's quite technical. So, yes, we have seen an announcement that the eligibility criteria for the June period, period four, is 
is minus 30. But what we don't know with 100% certainty, because the legislation is not yet, is whether the you qualified in May means you automatically qualified in June rule still applies. That was certainly how the initial wave of the subsidy worked. Uh, so we're assuming that's the case. But we don't know that with 100% certainty. Um, and then, of course, going forward, we don't know what the cutoff is going to be uh, for, you know, for that bright line, whether it's something different than minus 30. We're hearing some signals that it is uh, potentially lower, but we don't know that for certain. Um, and it's, I guess you could call it an increased cost because we've, uh, we've reduced our costs from the benefit of that. But, um, you know, at this point, we, we'd certainly like to know because it's, it's a very material item for us for the fourth quarter, but we just don't 100% know. Now, having said all that, you know, we qualified at a consolidated level, which means everybody in the group in Canada qualifies, all the employees. Um, there are still scenarios where parts of the business qualify, but not the entire business. And that's where it gets much, much more complicated technically, uh, and we get into some issues around uh, what companies our employees are paid by, uh, what there's, you know, a, a massive spider web of legal entities and, and regulation and rules. And some of those we think are getting resolved, and some of them, we, again, we don't know until we see the legislation. So there's still a possibility, even if we don't qualify for July and August, that we would see some form of the subsidy coming at us because, you know, portions of the business, i.e., think radio, uh, could potentially continue to see, you know, pressure much more than whatever the threshold is. Well, I would just add the the um, industry in Canada. I mean, everybody's just sitting there waiting for the the federal government and the Ministry of Finance to reveal more details on the on the next reference period. Uh, you know, the government's concerned as to why more employers aren't taking advantage of the wage subsidy, and yet, you know, we're waiting for the details. So There's a little bit of uh, let's get the show on the road kind of thing. We're told that the par Parliament's coming back on July 8th, so and the Minister of Finance has said that you know it will be coming imminently. So, you know, let's hope that we get more details, you know, in the in the second week of July. Okay. And uh, is there a relationship between the timing of your stopping of the buyback and the, be the beginning of the benefit that you are receiving from the CWS, i.e. not expecting no. to do any buyback w while you're getting that benefit? No, there's no. They're totally unrelated, um, and we have no interest at this time in doing any buybacks. We're, you know, we're basically our priority is to, you know, pay, is to con continue to manage our cash in a very disciplined manner, uh, you know, to sure we can continue to advance our priorities as we noted on the call today. But uh, there's no linkage between the wage subsidy and the cessation of the uh, NCIB. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. And as a reminder, if you would like to ask a question, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. Your next question comes from the line of David McFadgen with Cormark Securities. David, your line is open. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, so most of my questions were addressed, uh, but you talk in the MDA about um, stock offsetting the impact from TLN and the shutdown of Cosmo and ISC, can you can you tell us what the revenue impact was from TLN, Cosmo, and ISC in the quarter? Sure. Um, those were approximately well. You can tell they're an approximate offset to the stack. So you're you're asking me what stack revenue is, but that's fine. So those those uh, channel shutdowns in TLN about five million dollars in the quarter. Okay. All right. I, I, do, yeah, I think, I think the, the note that I want to make on this one is, and this is something I hope everybody picked up, but I'll say it again for the sake of repetition. Subscriber revenue is a growth opportunity, both stack and, and existing base. I mean, you sum them together and we're in a good spot. Canadians are not cutting their cable. They're not shaving right now. They're enjoying, you know, watching television. It's a trend that um, that has been, I think, notable. So so you'll see it in this line item in Q3. I think, you know, we'll, we'll see how the, the future quarters play out. but. You know the the bundle remains dominant, and we are also pursuing you know those Canadians thirty percent ish that don't have the bundle. Okay. Does 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 Amazon share churn with you? Just curious to know because I would think this would be a fairly high churn revenue line. We we we, we get a lot of data, um, uh, and uh, we we see what our audiences are watching, and you know in detail that we don't typically see. But otherwise, um, but uh, you know, in specifics of what they provide and don't provide, we don't want to get into that detail. Okay. All right. 
And then just lastly, um, in the quarter, I think uh, when you reported Q2, you talked about potential to to uh, save some revenue, uh, sorry, save some costs on the U.S. programming side. Um, did you were you able to do that in the quarter at all? It, it was quite small, and and you know we um, we knew most of the shows were already ready to go, uh, and there were a, a couple that were shortened the number of uh, of episodes, but for the most part we were pretty much on. The real benefit will be Q4. You you can see in the in the programming lineups in in the summer now, both for us and for CTV, that there's a lot of reality uh, and probably stuff that was already made or maybe not made in North America. So, um, you know, that's that's where I think there could be some benefit. Now, having said that, it was already going to be uh, it was already going to be a lower quarter because of the Olympics that Doug mentioned. So, you know, there's there's some examples like the daytime soaps are in repeats, and therefore we're going to save some money on that. But um, you know, we're, we're managing that very carefully, obviously. But the big, the big hitter in that line is the Canadian, just because of the shutdown, and, and we're just not getting the new shows. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thanks, David. Your last question comes from the line of Vince Valentini with TD Securities. Vince, your line is open. Hey, thanks. Sorry for coming back in again, but just just to clarify on your answer to Dave's question there. Subscription revenue should be a growth driver. I agree with that on a pro forma basis, but it, it seems like every year you find another one or two channels that are not part of your real core offering and you decide to, to shut them down and focus your energy on the sort of top 20. Um, do you think that pruning is done so that we may actually see the subscription revenues start to show a net growth or is it always going to be growth excluding channel shutdowns for, for the next couple of years? I'm glad you asked me to clarify that because I I'd probably give me some I'll give you some more context to that. I think I think subscription that's probably the more traditional definition. I think the the, the distribution of our content and revenues we're going to get from it, whether that that's in the traditional bundle or on Stack TV on our, or our global TV app or on other uh, you know uh, evolving digital platforms. Given the fact that we are increasingly able to secure the rights we need to put the content where it's got to go to follow the audience and drive inventory, um, to me that gives me confidence that um, what you're beginning to see in terms of the distribution in widely defined uh, is going to be a potential area for growth. Does that make make it more clear? And then in terms of you know culling the herd and, you know, shutting down smaller services and such. You know, listen, Vince, we've been very focused on trying to have fewer, bigger, better services and fewer, bigger, better partners, and that's been something that we've done now, you know, for five years since we <clears throat> acquired Shaw Media. So I think there'll probably still be a couple examples in the years ahead where we'll probably trim down a little bit more, but, you know, none of that's going to be sort of life-threatening from a revenue perspective. And as I say, I think there's lots of opportunities to pursue growing areas through the digital video platforms um, that will help us to kind of manage anything that we decide to voluntarily shut down. Yeah. I think, Vince, I'd say, um, you know, on channel shutdowns or even rebrands, we've, we've probably been leading the industry, and it maybe isn't, doesn't feel so good sometimes to be the leader in that respect. Uh, but I think it's the right thing to do for for our distributors and also for the viewers. Um, in terms of pro forma, I, you know, we're not quite that sneaky or maybe clever. Uh, we've never defined pro forma as you know, something to exclude channel shutdowns. It's only ever been things that we've disposed of, so the TLN group or Movie Central, uh, but we don't, we don't try to pro forma that out. That's our challenge to make up that lost revenue, and, and that's where we're very focused on how we do that. Very helpful, thank you. Thank you, Vince. This concludes our question and answer session. I will now turn the call back over to Doug Murphy for closing remarks. Thank you, operator, and thank you, everybody, for your questions. Um, I hope you enjoy a fantastic candidate week next week. I know here in, uh, in Ontario it's going to be spectacular weather, so enjoy. Uh, get outside. Uh, you can watch TV in the mornings, but, you know, get outside in, in the daytime and enjoy it. And I want to thank all of our team at Chorus across the country for all their fantastic work and commitment, and uh, have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.